Good morning. Today we'll be reading 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Warning against idleness. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister living irresponsibly and not according to the tradition that they receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not irresponsible when we were with you, <laughs> and we did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you. This was not because we do not have the right, but in order to give you an example to imitate. For, for even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living irresponsibly, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in what is right. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's a pretty straightforward message, don't you think? I, I mean, I don't have to go too deeply into that. Uh, when um, I was thinking about this earlier on today and the, the issues that we face in this country, have you noticed that people are having a hard time getting people to work? It's, it's kind of a strange thing. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be really cool if we just kind of like lifted this out and put it on their businesses? <laughs> just put it right there um, because it's like, hey, if you're, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat. You have to just, you know, kind of pull your own weight here. And this passage, is, it's not, it's pretty straightforward. I don't have to stand it here and really unpack it for you too deeply. But what I can do is I, I can tell you a little something about um, the church at Thessalonica, because not a lot of people know that. Well, this, this is um, one of two letters that we have from Paul, okay? Um, so, and the letters, they're meant to work to each with each other. Um, a lot of times when Paul would write a letter, you could see how it was separate from other letters, okay? But first Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, one flows right into the other. And it's something that many people do not know is that Paul and Silas, not just Paul, but Paul and Silas um, were the ones that founded the church um, in, the, in this town, this city of Thessalonica. So where is Thessalonica? Does anyone know? Anyone want to take a stab at that? Okay. Thessalonica is in modern-day Greece. So if you know where that is on the map, that's where you're going to find Thessalonica. Okay? And it's a port town. All right? So it, it, and I don't know how big it was during the time of Paul. I didn't really go into that research right there. But you'd be interested to know that's where it was. So it's, it was nowhere near Jerusalem. All right, and it was discovered on um, Paul and Silas went to visit Thessalonica on their second missionary journey. And here's what I want you to like really focus in on here because this is going to make it's going to help make sense of things. Paul and Silas only stayed there for three Sabbaths, okay, three weeks. 
before they were run out. That's significant, okay? Um, and when you think about that, let me ask you, so well, he was run out by angry Jews, okay? And they went and they got so angry, they followed him to the next town over too and started harassing him there. But check this out. This is really important. How much about Christianity can you learn in three weeks? Right? I mean, when we read the scriptures, we never really stop to like, hey, wait a second, three weeks is not a long time. Um, most of us here t today have grown up in the church, and we have been at this our whole lives. And we have questions. We're like, I don't get this. This is, you know, this is how am I supposed to understand it? Well, they only had three weeks um, before they were run out of town. And I think you have to consider that because when you only have three weeks, that leaves you with a lot of questions, right? And apparently when Paul was there at this church, he talked about Jesus' second coming, when he was going to return again. And, um, and then three weeks later, he's, you know, he's addressed the situation, but apparently he didn't address it fully, okay? Because this church, they had questions. They were obsessed with when Jesus was going to come again. All right, and that's pretty much the main thrust of what Paul addresses within these two letters here, okay? Um, Christ coming again. And we're going to, I'm going to unpack that a little bit um, as we get into this, but I really wanted you to hold on to the idea that three weeks isn't a lot of time to develop a really deep theology, is it? Okay? Um, and I, again, I mean, like even myself, I've been at this pretty deeply into theology and studies and stuff like that for years, years, and I still have questions. You know that I do. Uh, most of my sermons are based upon me asking you questions, and I'm going to leave you with a question today that is really um, pertinent to today's story. But let's just get into the, like, basics of this right here. Um, so I, I think I can stress a few things, all right? Um, Basically, what's going on with this segment in the scripture today is that Paul had gotten word, all right, that there were certain people within the Thessalonian church who were not pulling their own weight. And they were pretty much taking advantage of those who were actually working and then perhaps taking, you know, some of their earnings from work and giving it to the church. That, that's what's going on here. Um, and we see that I, I think you don't just see that in the church. You see that in, in many institutions where certain people just don't pull their own weight, okay? And it, and it really holds things back, and it causes relationship issues to, to go on, um, and it causes people to talk. And, you know, hey, that person's really not pulling their own weight here, and they're relying on others that are. But let's face it, uh, straight to the point, the church, the ministry needs money to move forward, doesn't it? Things are not for free, despite what's, you know, what some ideologies are in, in um, the world these days. Nothing is for free, all right? Even, you know, the, the, these are not for free, okay? And I'm not talking theologically here. There is actually oil that goes in here that costs something, okay? And therefore, like, ministry, in this sense, takes money. It takes support. And we have to give in order for those things to happen. And here's the thing when it comes to finances and stuff. I, I think it's great when a church, especially in this environment, is um, keeping afloat. But I don't think God ever intended his church to just stay afloat. All right? Uh, there was this incident in, the, when, in Exodus when Moses was collecting money, I mean, not money, just stuff for the, um, for the tabernacle, to build the tabernacle. Did you know he actually, um, actually had to stand before the people and tell them to stop giving? 
And now that, that's kind of cool. Listen, you've given too much. We have too much. We have more than enough of what we need. Stop giving. I would love to stand in front of a people, and I think anyone here would love to be a part of a, of a church, of a group, or any kind of group where the, where the leader has to say, stop giving, <laughs> right? Just back off for a little bit. What a wonderful thing to strive for, don't you think? All right. I don't. I, when I picture the church, I do not picture a people bobbing, you know, keeping their heads bobbing above the water, just like this. Oh, maybe any moment now, you know, we just made it through another month. We just made it through another year. That's not the picture of Christianity we want to portray to the world. Rather, the, the a picture of Christianity we want to portray to the world is like, man, that group of people they know how to give, because when you give, you care about something. When you give, you know what things stand for. Did you know, one of my opinions on the church is why it's, you know, certain groups, or any kind of group that is not doing well, is a lot of times it's because they don't know what they stand for, right? I, I like to believe you can start a group of people with pretty much anything, okay? Um, you know, even things that are, you know, come, you know that you think aren't going to survive, like Polaroid, Polaroid film. <laughs> Remember Polaroid film? You could start a group of people who are just infatuated with, with, with Polaroid film, and people would join that group because they know, and not just any Polaroid film, but the square kind, okay? Now you're stating your beliefs, and because you believe in that very thing, people will join that. If you don't know what your beliefs are or where you stand and how foundational these things are, people will not jo join your group. I don't care if you're a church or a hobbyist of anything. If they think that you're wavering back and forth, why would you even give to that, all right? That's why it's so important for us here at St. John to know where we stand foundationally on things, okay? Um, and a lot of people would look at that and say, well, that's just a traditionalist or just a, you know, a, a congregation that's so stubborn on things. No, it's a congregation that knows where they stand and what they believe, all right? And because of that, you're growing. You're growing because, because you're, 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 you, know, you have your convictions, you have your belief, and you live into that. That's what keep, will keep this, this um, church more than staying afloat, okay? Now, I've drifted. <laughs> I've drifted off point because that's sometimes what I do. But when it comes to giving, we want to strive to be a people that give too much, <laughs> okay? And that should be the goal. The goal should never be let's get through another month, okay? That's, that's not a church that's doing well. That's a church that's struggling to stay, stay afloat. We don't want to stay afloat. We want to um, keep on moving, okay? All right. Now, even Jesus' um, ministry uh, was financed. It was financed. And you read this in uh, when he was with us, uh, first century. If you look at Luke 8, 3, it says that the, a group of women were helping to support Jesus' ministry through their own means. So it takes finances, okay? So I have no problem standing up here and saying what's in your wallet. <laughs> I, I really don't. Let's be a giving people, okay? Um, and let's be open about it. So here in the church of Thessalonica, some people in the church were not contributing financially, okay? And, and I get it, but not, you know, not everyone has the means to give. I totally understand that. We don't want to put you in debt because, you know, because of giving, okay? In that case, I think we should hold each other um, and take care of each other. But check this out. I don't think money is the point of this passage. He's not getting at that at all. Um, Paul's big concern in this passage um, is more than that because he tells us that the people weren't working, Okay, and to me, that's kind of, it's kind of shameful, all right, um, that you have actually not just one or two people. You have a group of people in the church that are not working. That's not a healthy environment. 
um, if you ask me. And it gets worse. It gets worse. In addition to that, Paul refers to them as busybodies. Okay? I, well, that, that's, that's not good, okay? Because everybody loves a busybody. <laughs> I wish we had loads of busybodies in this church. <laughs> not, okay? Um, but check this out. Out of curiosity, I, I'm a person that asks questions of everything. Todd knows that about me. We get together and we just sit there and... <laughs> you know, ask questions and questions. But I had to ask, well, what's a busybody? What's a good definition of busybody? So I looked one up on the internet, and I looked up kind of one that was attached to theology. And here's what I found. A busybody is a person who meddles in the affairs of others. Sometimes this meddling is under the guise of helping, but usually the help is unwelcome and uninvited. Busybodies are often people who are dissatisfied with the level of drama in their own lives and gain satisfaction by becoming involved in the problems of other people. Gossip is usually a staple of every busybody, but it is usually camouflaged. Get this, you ready for this? It's usually camouflaged in a prayer request. <laughs> I didn't write these words, okay? I just found it. It's usually camouflaged in a prayer request or given under the pretense of asking for advice. And that's the definition that I found. I think it fits pretty well, especially within a, um, a church context, okay? You know, so, so far, the sermon's pretty harsh. Well, I'm sorry, the scripture is harsh. <laughs> Did you not listen to the, the scripture passage, okay? But listen, these things are true. So Paul refers to these people as, as busybodies. So what's up with this group of people in the church of Thessalonica who are, are non-working, bam, check right there, busybodies, check, these are two negatives, who are relying on those who are working hard. Another check, three negatives right there, and they were pulling their own way. And you have to ask the question, why were they not working? Is there a reason why they were not working? And I have an answer to that. I personally think that this group of people that Paul was addressing were lazy opportunists. As simple as that. Okay? Uh, they were lazy opportunists who were, who were just taking advantage of the generosity of others. And that's not uncommon. It, it isn't. Any, you know, if you just point out a place that is generous and engages in, in um, charity, wherever you find that environment where that exists, there's going to be people that are opportunists and that are lazy. And that's just part of the course. And, and I'm not just talking about the church here. I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about in school when you have a group project to do. There's always that one person that doesn't pull their own way, and then they swoop in at the end, right? In um, context, any context where there's a project involved, all right, you have a group of people that are working, working, working for weeks on, you know, with their hands and getting together and fellowship fellowshipping, and then someone swoops in at the end and takes all the credit for it. That happens um, in environments where money is given, and that's an issue. You always have people that come along and, right, have their hands out. We need to be a place, uh, St. John needs to be a place of rehabilitation, not a place of handouts, okay? We want to give people a hand up, and you give a hand up um, through rehabilitation. You really do. Because if they're in that situation, that crisis situation, something that's interesting about crisis situations and people in need, they end. Crisis situations always end. But not, not, they don't end when you constantly help out the crisis situation. Sometimes you think you're helping, but you're actually nurturing a crisis situation and you're keeping them in that state. You need to bring them into a state of rehabilitation. 
And that means that we as a church need to know the places in the area that engage in those things, okay? Um, that, you know, when someone asks us for something, we, we don't just say no. We say, here's what we can do for you. And you point them to a direction. You're supposed to connect people with, with what's going on in the community, okay? Not nurture their issue. Not, don't nurture the crisis. And I'm very serious about that. There's a book called When Helping Hurts, okay? Believe it or not, helping can hurt, okay? And I know that we have loving hearts and stuff, but if you really truly have a loving heart, connect them with Jesus Christ and get them into a state of rehabilitation so that they can join others in helping other people out. So when it just comes down to it, I personally think that you're just talking. Paul's addressing a group of lazy opportunists in this passage. Like I said, it's not too deep, okay? But here's the but. Um, there are others who believe there's something else going on with this passage, okay? And I would say, uh, you know, 85% and above. I, I just pulled that number out. I'm just saying the majority of people believe that something else is going on in this passage that's kind of theologically oriented. I will say that I don't fully um, embrace this view, okay? But I have a responsibility to teach it to you. I'm going to teach it to you. You can make up your own minds, okay? Um, so some theologians, and I'm not talking some, I'm talking a lot, okay, the majority. Right now, you're looking at a minority. <laughs> My interpretation is the minority with this passage, that they're just lazy bums, okay? Um, but that's not loving. Well, that's the truth. Paul wasn't, you know, I mean, that's the truth right here. But some theolo many theologians think that the reason why this group of people in this church were not working was because they believed that Jesus was going to come back at any moment. Jesus is going to be back in any moment. I'm not working. I'm just going to sit around and wait. And that's what they think. And that's how they interpret this passage. Okay? Um, and they interpret this passage this way because in Paul's first letter, remember I said both letters work together? Um, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul addresses concerns about when Jesus will come back. And more importantly, the people had questions about those who have died before his triumphant return. What about them? They're dead. Are they going to miss it? <laughs> Are they saved? And in this letter, Paul addresses those issues. Okay? Do you remember when I said Paul and Silas only had three weeks? With these people, do you see where it's you know where these questions and stuff will arise if you didn't have enough education or if you didn't know enough? They're simply asking what they don't know at this point. So they had issues. So Paul addressed that. He he basically said, you know, those who are just, you know, those who live according to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and believe in him as their Lord and Savior, that goes beyond just a confession of the mouth. Though they're gonna be saved, whether they are dead, um, whether they have died before today or present now, or the ones that are gonna come ahead of you know um, after you. And he answers that question. But then he writes these words. He says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So these words are very true. And what, what Paul is saying is basically, no one knows the, the hour. It's going to be unexpected, and you're going to be quite surprised, all right? So with that, would you sit around expecting Jesus Christ to come at any moment? Some people would, I guess. I don't know. But because of this, the people didn't want to work. They weren't pulling their own weight in the church, and their thinking was, if Christ was going to return at any moment, why work? Why do anything? Okay? Um, now, again, I don't... I don't 
see that. I've read the letters back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, Paul does address that. At the very, mo at the very um, least or most, whatever the language is, I think they knew about Christ coming at any moment and relied on that to be lazy. And here's what I'm saying. They were lazy people to begin with. They just found them. They used this as an excuse to be lazy. Does that make sense? Okay. They just didn't, knowing that Christ is going to come doesn't make you a lazy person is my argument. Okay. Um, so I don't buy into this. I just think Paul's addressing a lazy group of people that you can find in pretty much any environment. Um, so, and here, check this out. If you really consider this, the truth is idleness and laziness and being a busybody, like Paul says in our scripture passage today, is nowhere promoted in scripture. It's nowhere promoted in Christian living. And I will go on to say, it's nowhere promoted anywhere in the world. I mean, you know, you know, and I don't care what you practice and what you believe in. Most, I'd say 100% of proper belief systems don't promote laziness. They require work. That's another reason why I kind of go against this interpretation. But again, you, you, I presented why. Um, I don't think it really matters if you assent to it or not, but it's important for you to know the both sides of it, okay? So here are the two sides. Either Paul was just dealing with a, a lazy um, group of people in the church and he was trying to get them in order here, okay? You're not going to work, you're not going to eat, okay? Simple as that. And you know what? I'm going to separate you from the rest of the believers. Or um, they were um, expecting Jesus Christ to come and they were using that as an excuse to... Um, you know, just not work. Okay, so those are the two things. You, you take that information and do with it what you will. But in saying that, I want to I just have a little um, experiment for a second um, and entertain this thinking that Christ is going to come again, okay, any second. Let's say that you knew the precise moment that you were going to die. Let's say it was one month from now, okay? Can we, can we do that? And let's just say it's a good thing, okay? So you have nothing to be miserable about. Miserable about. So you knew the moment a month from now. Um, I, I would think that you would do things a little differently, wouldn't you? Right? You, you'd start doing things, okay? Perhaps you'd finish off that bucket list, right? There's a bucket list. I better get to it. I've been waiting my whole life. I have always wanted to do this. I'm going to get to that. Now, uh, maybe you would take that trip you've always wanted to go on. Why not? I got a month left, okay? Um, you might even have two pieces of dessert, cheesecake, okay? Um, I don't understand why people aren't having that now. <laughs> why wait? Okay, but you might do things like that. Um, you would probably start cherishing things a little bit more, wouldn't you? One month, um, and things would probably fall into their proper place of importance right? Things would be different. And the point is that you would do things differently because of one factor. You know the precise moment that you're going to die, okay? Well, let's ask it differently. Let's, let's ask the question differently. What if you knew the precise day and time that Jesus Christ was going to return? What if that were one month from now? That's a very different question, isn't it? Very different question. And it's a lot different than knowing that the moment that you're going to die. If you knew the moment that Jesus was going to return, I think you would do things slightly different than if you knew the moment you were going to die. I don't think your primary concern would be your bucket list all of a sudden. Right? You, you know, you might kick that bucket. <laughs> Bam, kick it off to the side. You don't need it. Chances are you would spend your time telling people that Jesus was going to return, right? 
If you knew the moment, you're not going to keep that to yourself, you selfish person. <laughs> you, you're going to tell everyone. You might even end up on a street corner with a bullhorn, right? One month from now, all right? You, you, you're just going to do things differently. Suddenly, the, the concern isn't, are you okay with me dying and getting your affairs in order with your family? You okay with me dying? Man, I'm not going to be here. How are you going to be? Suddenly, it's not about that. Suddenly, it becomes, are you okay with Jesus coming? Very different. And it becomes about everyone that you meet and not just about your immediate family. Everyone that you meet. And what I do know is that you will not be sitting around doing nothing, just watching those wheels go round and round. I have to confess, when I read this passage, John Lennon got in my head, watching the wheels go round and round. It's one of my favorite songs, so I think it's awesome. And uh, Monday, I, I got the idea for the sermon. I put that in the bulletin, and then my sermon changed throughout the week. And I was like, oh, no, I have to fit that in. So I just fit it in. John Lennon, great artist. Love the Beatles. Okay. Um, but you're not going to be sitting around watching the wheels go round and round, are you? You're going to be working. You're going to be doing things, okay? Um, and, you know, you're going to be pulling your own weight at that point. But let's take this. Um, I'm going to wrap up on this. Let's honestly take this question very seriously. What would you do if you knew the exact moment that Jesus was going to return? I'm asking all of you, and I'm asking for one reason. I want you to, I'm going to give you an answer. But I, I want you to think about that. What would you do if you knew the precise moment? Reflect on it very seriously, because I want you to talk about it with each other. Maybe you're going at the lunch, talk about it with you know, your spouse, someone this week. Maybe have a conversation on Facebook. I don't care what you do, but I want you to talk about this, because this is a question that has gone missing from the church. What would you do if you knew the precise moment Jesus was going to come? What would you do differently? I'm sure you have an answer in your mind, but here's, here's what I would hope you can say. If you knew the exact moment that Jesus was going to return, I hope your answer would be, I wouldn't change much. Right? There may be a little tweaking here and here, but if Jesus were to come 10 minutes from now, I'm good. I, you know, and I, I see that going on. I really do. I'm complimenting you here. I see you loving I see you caring for others. I see your giving. We talked about that earlier, okay? We, would, we do want to strive to a place where I can say, stop giving, okay? And I will never say that, okay? But I see you praying. I see you learning the scripture. I see you gathering together, okay? Now, there might be little tweaks here and there, okay? But they're tweaks. So if you knew the precise moment I want you to be able to say, I wouldn't change a thing. I will tell you right now, I'm not, I'm, this is not a brag. I just want to give you an example. I think I can say that. Okay? I think I, think I can say, yeah, I'm good. I, I, I'm engaged in those things. I'm a, I'm a disciple. I have little tweaks. And I know that some of you can say that too. But bring others to a place where they can say it as well. Can you do that? That's what I want to leave you with. That's what I want you to get out of today. Talk about this with each other. Think about it. Assess yourself. Are you good if Jesus was going to come a day from now? The precise day. Let's see you need a day. Okay? Really think about that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You good?